there are uh, two guys um, called the Skit Guys that do these like churchy videos that I adore and show you often. And I found one this week that knocked my socks off. Uh, it's called Missing Jesus, and I want to share it with you. Hey, Ed, come check out my North Star Christmas tree topper at Levitate's. Is this a gummy bear? Yeah, we lost baby Jesus. Hey, check out these LED lights. I have them synced up to a 76-hour all-Christmas music playlist. There's my little Christmas DJ. <laughs> Ow. So, are you waiting till Christmas is over so you can go buy a new nativity set when they're on sale? Huh? No, no, oh no. We lost baby Jesus like 11 years ago. Is, is baby Jesus always a gummy bear? Oh, no, oh, we trade it out every year. Yeah, like uh, last year it was a uh, tiny troll doll. And the year before that we used a dog treat. They were the perfect size, but <laughs> Dalton kept taking them and eating them. You, you mean your dog kept stealing them? No, my son Dalton, he loves those dog treats. Especially the peanut butter ones. There was one year that we used a, uh, a doll head. That was creepy. We, we made a modeling clay, baby Jesus. So the dog took that one too. Um, one year we got desperate and used an ice cube. That was a miss and a mess. Yeah, just seems like everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never lasts. Say that again. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to last. And? And what? Say it again, slowly. Why? Just do it, dulcimo, slowly, do it. I don't understand what's happening. Just do it. This is getting weird. Say it! Fine! But when I'm done saying this, you're gonna march in here and you're gonna watch my star levitate. Fine, 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 do it. Fine. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to, oh, yep, there it is. Okay, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Okay, that, that's good, right? That's good. I love it. Uh, my favorite is the ice cube because it's a miss and a mess. That's great. Okay. Uh, so I actually think uh, that uh, silly video has a lot to say for us in the midst of Mark chapter 8. Uh, Mark chapter 8 is going to be a story about bread and a story about vision and a story about trying to replace Jesus. Right? It's going to be a story about bread and vision and trying to replace Jesus. Uh, and uh, there are three major characters in Mark 8. Uh, they are the three major characters in the gospel. We have Jesus, we have His enemy, and we have the disciples. Okay? Other people in the gospel, the people being healed. There's folks in this story that get to eat food. Um, but the main characters here are, are Jesus and His enemy and the disciples. And uh, in these three places... Jesus' enemy and His disciples, we're going to get this unpacking of um, bread and vision and what it means to try to replace Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus first. So Jesus has a vision of what kind of Savior He wants to be. Uh, and, and we get that vision maybe articulated in this passage more clearly than in any passage up until this point. 
So, remember that uh, the Jews and the Gentiles have a lot of kind of cultural and religious barriers between them. So, if you are a good Jew back in the day, um, you would not um, have a, a Gentile person come into your home. You would not go into the home of a Gentile person because that might make you unclean. You especially would not eat food with a Gentile uh, because you don't know if their food is clean or not or kosher or not, and so that could make you unclean. There are all kinds of interesting stories in Scripture reinforcing this point. Um, but, but this basic idea uh, that, that we need to keep up some boundaries between us and the other is really, really critical to the Jewish identity of the day. And, and we saw this a little bit last week because last week Jesus went to Tyre which is a, another Gentile city northwest of Galilee. And while he was there, there was a woman from Tyre, a Syrophoenician woman, who came into the house where he was staying. So we broke one of those boundaries, right? We got Jews and Gentiles in a house together at the same time. And if you remember, um, she had a daughter, right, that she needed to be healed from a demon possession. And she and Jesus have a conversation about food, and Jesus says it's not right uh, to get, take the bread the children are eating and give it to the dogs. And she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs from underneath the master's table. Uh, and Jesus says, okay, because of that, um, you get what you asked for. Um, they're having a conversation about what kind of bread and what kind of Savior Jesus is going to be. And so, we get the next level of that conversation in this moment. We get Jesus going into this realm of Gentile people and not just allowing them into His house or going into their house. He quite literally breaks bread with them, right? He breaks bread with 4,000 of them to be specific. And in so doing, Jesus articulates that He wants to be the kind of Savior who saves Gentiles too. So, um, again, these little details are helpful for us. In the feeding of the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces are left over afterwards? Twelve. Great. And representing the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So there are, there are 12 uh, tribes of Israel. And in that moment, the idea is that Jesus is enough to feed all of the people of God. Uh, and, and this feeding of the Gentiles, how many baskets are left over? Seven. Okay, now here's the like, did you listen last week? Um, but last week we talked about what the seven represents. Does anybody remember for like extra Jesus points? Uh, there are seven nations um, that used to be in Canaan that Joshua and the Israelites drove out of Canaan when they conquered the promised land. They're listed many times in Scripture. One place I read last week, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, and He clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. The tradition was that those seven nations had gone to this Decapolis region when they were kicked out of Canaan, those who survived the, those wars. Uh, and now Jesus goes to the nations that were once the most fundamental enemies of the people of Israel, and He says, not only will I feed you, but there'll be seven baskets left over, enough for all the people of your people, right? All the people of those nations. Jesus is, is kind of radically 
um, interpreting his mission. He is not going to just be a Savior for the Jews. He wants to be a Savior for all nations, not just King of the Jews, King of all nations. And he invites them all to come around this one table. We, yesterday, we had our Hearts of Hope gift pickup where uh, I think we had like a hundred families that came and picked up their food and their gifts, and many of those families brought their children, and many of those children came and kind of hung out in Bolden Hall. We had cookies and snacks, and they were actually making gifts for their parents, which was a cool idea, so they could give something to their parents, and it was great. Uh, and while they were doing that, we just had so much incredible conversation. Every time I walked through that room, I saw children and parents and our church members like hunkered down around tables, talking and drawing and playing and making gifts together. Um, I saw um, Hmong families um, whose um, parents didn't speak English um, pantomiming with our church members about their Christmas experience. We had Spanish-speaking families who um, did um, much better job their English than I did at my Spanish, uh, and who had, we had a Spanish pastor who was with us and had like an hour-long conversation with him around a table about Christmas and faith that was so exciting to watch. And we had um, white kids, and we had black kids, and we had just everybody here. Uh, and as I'm watching all of those tables talking about Christmas and preparing gifts for their parents and just like sharing the story of Jesus together, I thought this is what He's trying to do here in the gospel. He's trying to create a new community around a singular table where Jesus is at the center of it all. Jesus is saying, it is too small a thing for me just to save Israel. Of course I can save Israel. We have been saving, we like Jesus and His Father and the Spirit have been saving Israel for generations. And we can look back to the Old Testament and see all of these heroes that God used to save Israel. We can see Abraham and Moses and we can see Joshua. We can see uh, Deborah and we can see Barak and we can see uh, David and we can see Daniel and we can see Jonah. But this has never happened before. We've never had a man come from God who's interested not just in saving the Israelites, but in saving the Gentiles. What God started with Abraham is coming to its conclusion in Jesus. And so Jesus thinks that this moment is a revelation of who He is, that He is a new kind of king, uh, uh, leading a new united kingdom. Uh, He is uh, going to be not just a prophet or a priest or a king. He is the last prophet and the last priest and the last king because He's ushering in the final kingdom of God, one where all the nations are brought in to the family of Jesus. This is His vision, right? This is what Jesus wants them to see, the kind of Savior He wants to be. Okay, that's Jesus' vision. Let's talk about the enemy's vision for a minute. Uh, I said the enemy. The Pharisees are the bad guys in this story. Um, But at this point in the story, we know the Pharisees are like really bad, right? They've chapters ago, they've already committed themselves to trying to murder Jesus to end His ministry. So, we're not at a point where we're having like a reasonable discussion about um, what might be the right way to read Torah anymore. Um, We're talking about uh, them actively trying to end His life and end His ministry. Uh, And the Pharisees um, have a really interesting encounter with Jesus in just one sentence. Um, They have 
these two incredible errors. So we're told uh, that the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, asking Him for a sign from heaven to test Him. So two things here that the Pharisees do wrong that are really striking because we fall into these traps too. The first thing is um, Jesus just did a sign, right? Like remember the the seven baskets and the 4,000 people? Like it hasn't been very long. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, it was the last verse um, where He was doing the sign. So um, when they come and say, hey, we need more, we get this like, what have you done for me lately kind of faith? Uh, And in fairness to the Pharisees, they're not the only ones who have a what have you done for me lately kind of faith. When Jesus says, um, no sign will be given to this generation, I think He's referencing not just the Pharisees, I think He's referencing that whole story in Exodus. Remember, the Israelites leave Egypt and they're following Moses through the wilderness and they've got literally manna from heaven. He's feeding them bread in the wilderness. He's feeding them bread in the wilderness. You're seeing the connections. He's feeding them bread in the wilderness and as they're walking along, they can see the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, the presence of God with them. And all they do is complain, right? All they do is complain. Hey, you know what? The, the bread of heaven is pretty good, but we'd like some meat, please. Hey, uh, you know what? We're, we know you said promised land is going to be great, but the people living there look really big and scary. Um, hey, uh, we don't really like Aaron very much, and your sister Miriam annoys us, and so can we get rid of them, please? And just one complaining thing after another. Uh, and, and I think for that generation and for the generation of these Pharisees, And for us sometimes, the problem is that they didn't want God, they just wanted what God could give them, right? They don't want God, they just want God could give them. Because if they wanted God, they'd be satisfied because He's right there. I mean, there is Jesus. He's right there. Uh, There's the pillar of cloud and fire right there in their midst. But that's not what they're looking for. They just want what God can give them. Um, We've had this conversation before. I call this a God plus mentality. Like, God is great, um, but in addition to God, I need some other things. I would be happy if I had God plus that perfect job I've been trying to get, plus the respect of the people that don't respect me. I'd be happy if I had God plus that really great car I've been working on, plus that significant other I think I can't live without. I'd be happy if I had God plus being in the right circle with the right friends so that people think I'm cool. I'd be happy if I had God plus my hobby horse or my pet project or peas or God plus my political party, or God plus my country, or God plus, plus, plus. And at the end of that, we just say, hey, I don't really want God at all. If I could just have the other stuff, God's just a way to get the stuff that I want. So uh, the Pharisees have this God plus mentality. They actually also have the opposite, strikingly. So there's a, a weird line here. The Pharisees say they want a sign from heaven, And there's a lot of debate about what this means. I'm just going to summarize um, some of the scholars. Um, Basically, most people think that when they say sign from heaven, they mean they want something cosmic. They want something like striking and amazing, and ideally something directed against the Gentile people that elevates the Jews. Uh, So one uh, author I read this week said, uh, the kind of Messiah they want will never come. They are determined to find a compliant superman who is endowed with heavenly powers and will fulfill their own earthly program. They want the Messiah of their dreams. Theirs is a Messiah of empty dreams who will throw out the tyrants of the world and install them as the new tyrants. Um, There's a a weird line here where Jesus says, um, 
you know, no son will be given to this generation. He doesn't actually say that. Um, what he actually says is um, half of a famous statement. So um, back in the day, when you wanted to really make your point, and you were a Jew, you would say, may God strike me dead if by morning I have not conquered this city for him, right? Or may God strike me dead if by, um, you know, the, the time I turned 30, I've not become a pastor. Um, we do this in my house a lot, right? It, by, by, will God strike me dead if by um, tomorrow morning I don't have the garbage out on the street, right? I'll get it done. Um, we don't actually say that in our house. Um, Jesus says half of that statement. Uh, he says, uh, if another sign is given to this generation. He doesn't say, may God strike me dead, but that's the implication. He's saying, not only um, will I not give you a sign right now, um, but I am angry that you asked. Now, he's doing miracles left and right. He's not opposed to revealing a little bit of his divine ability, um, but he is angry that they asked because he is not going to be the sort of God that strikes down the Gentiles. He's going to be the sort of God that brings them in, right? And, and, and here's what I think we do sometimes. Um, we sometimes pursue a God minus mentality too. Uh, okay, yeah, I like all this stuff about Jesus, um, but... Um, there are some things I'd like to take out. Maybe we could have God minus some of that compassion stuff that really bugs me because this person needs some tough love. Maybe we could have God minus patience because I don't feel any patience for this person and I don't want to. Maybe we could have God minus forgiveness for that kind of sin because that kind of sin is really awful and grosses me out. Maybe we could have God minus those kinds of people because I don't really want those kinds of people around. Right? That's what the Pharisees say. We like, we like God. Can we just have God minus the Gentiles? We'd be perfectly happy. What they offer is a different vision of who God is. Right? What they offer is a different understanding of, of who God is. They want to replace Jesus with something of their own creation, not a God of mercy, but a God of might, not a God of compassion, but a God of condemnation, not a king of the nations, but a king against all the other nations. They want the disciples and the world to see God plus or God minus anything but God Himself. This is like the lost baby Jesus, right? We just keep subbing at our own idea of who God could be and what He might look like, and none of them seem to work. Okay, so we got the vision of Jesus, of what kind of king He wants to be, a king of all nations. We've got the vision of His enemy, um, of a God plus or minus anything but the whole story of Christ. And then we have the disciples, and the disciples have no vision. They got no vision. They do not get it, right? I mean, it is like beating your head against a wall dealing with these guys. I have, like, you shouldn't feel sympathy for Jesus because He's like, He's got it all going, but like, it would be hard to work with these people, right? Can, we, can I get an Amen. Like, hard to work with these people. So, um, they're on a boat. This is the third experience on a boat in the gospel. The first time he calmed the seas, and the second time he walked on water. So, this is an environment where they might expect big things. They're on a boat, and Jesus says, uh, oh, and they start saying, hey, we forgot the bread, right? We forgot the bread. Uh, oh, and we get a weird comment here. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. So, uh, verse 14, now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them on the boat. How can both of those things be true, right? They forgot to bring the bread, and they have only one loaf in the boat. Uh, so I think Mark is playing a game here. 
2019, when we were in Israel, um, we went to a location called Tagba. Tagba is the traditional site of the feeding of the 5,000. I don't think there is a traditional site for the feeding of the 4,000. We don't know where it happened other than it was in the wilderness in the Decapolis. But the feeding of the 5,000 we think happened in a place called Tagba. In Tagba, there is a church called the Church of the Multitudes. And there is a mural on the floor of that church. And I've got a picture of that mural. Can you put that up for me? Uh, And maybe. That's coming. Fantastic. Uh, so, the, the, the picture of that mural is really interesting. Hey, perfect. Thank you. Um, so, you see, how many fish do you see? Two fish. Uh, now, that's the basket in the middle of the fish, right? And on the top of the basket is the bread. How many pieces of bread do you see? Four. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to see, but it's four. That's not right. Five loaves of bread, right, in two fish in the feeding of the 5,000. So, the idea um, uh, at Tagba uh, is that the fifth loaf of bread is Jesus, right? Jesus is the last loaf. Uh, Jesus is the bread of heaven. And so when Mark says they have one loaf with them in the boat, he's talking about Jesus, right? He's talking about the bread of life. Uh, They didn't bring bread, but they've still got Jesus. Uh, And they just can't see it, right? They just can't see it. Jesus is the loaf and the bread of heaven and uh, this amazing king, and they've like forgotten he's there again. They just have no vision right? It's, it's like, let's make baby Jesus into an ice cube and see what happens. They, they just can't foresee that it's not going to work out. So, as Jesus is talking to the disciples, uh, He is identifying, boy, you guys are not getting it. You don't have the vision. Uh, and He says, hey, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and, and of Herod. And of course, they're like, okay, like we didn't bring any bread and He's angry with us because they're morons. Um, but Jesus is talking about something different, right? Jesus is talking about this idea uh, that the vision of the Pharisees is infectious, right? Yeast is bad in the Old Testament. Yeast means sin. Yeast means something that infects its way through the bread dough and messes everything up. And so here, Jesus is saying, hey, the vision of the Pharisees, this God plus or God minus idea, um, this idea that, that He's just for us and against everybody else, it is destructive and dangerous. It's going to lead you down the wrong path. And, and the disciples are like, uh, we don't get it because we don't have any bread. And then Jesus says, boy, I need you to begin to see. I need you to begin to see. Uh, there's an old story of, I, I think maybe a true story, of a time during the Soviet Union when Khrushchev was um, running the country and there was a rash of um, petty theft that was going on all over the place. And in the midst of that season, he decided, Khrushchev decided to station soldiers at all the factories around the Soviet Union. And so there was one factory in Leningrad that was like a sawmill. And uh, there was a soldier posted there. And most of the soldiers kind of knew the guys that worked there. And so the first night he was posted there, soldiers sitting at the door, and he sees this guy he knows named Petrovich coming out with a wheelbarrow. And in the wheelbarrow is a giant bulky sack of something. And the soldier's like, all right, Petrovich, I mean, I'm not an idiot. What's in the bag? He's like, oh, it's just sawdust and shavings from the sawmill. Yeah, I don't believe you. Open the bag. Let me see it. So he opens the bag and sure enough, dumps it all out and it's just sawdust and shavings. So the guard's kind of perplexed, but he says, okay, I guess you can go on. Next day it happens again. Every day that week, this 
worker comes out with a wheelbarrow. He's pushing a wheelbarrow full of a huge sack. He goes to the sack. It's always just sawdust and shavings. Finally, after a week, the guard goes to Petrovich. He says, look, I'm not even angry at you. I'm not even going to report you, but I know you're up to something. Like, what are you doing? Just tell me what you're smuggling, and I won't tell anyone. And Petrovich, with a big smile on his face, says, wheelbarrows. I'm smuggling wheelbarrows. Right? Sometimes we get so trapped, right? We get so trapped in our like physical, limited human way of seeing the world that we just can't notice what's happening around us. Sometimes we miss even God in our midst because we're so trapped in our intensely physical demands. We're so desperate to get our daily bread that we forget everything that matters in the pursuit of that daily bread. By the way, it's funny to me that we use bread to mean money nowadays, right? Because that's what we're often pursuing. And in that pursuit, in that intensely physical world, we just don't take time to ask those deeper questions about God's vision for our life or His vision for His church or for His kingdom. We don't pause enough in the midst of our daily quest to say, hey, I wonder why God put me here. Hey, I wonder what kind of people I want my children to grow up to be. Hey, I wonder who is my neighbor. Hey, I wonder what will happen when I die. Hey, I wonder um, what sort of things they'll say about me at my funeral. We don't ask the big questions, right? Because we're caught up in the urgency of the physical, do we have enough bread? And so Jesus says, I desperately want to open your eyes. I want you to begin to look around at this world and see it as I see it, as all of these nations that I want to bring into my family and make them part of my kingdom. I want you to be involved in that work. I want you to see that from the beginning of the story, it's always been this central thing that we were going to be a place that is a light to the nations, that my salvation can reach to the ends of the earth. And everything that Jesus does in the Gospels and almost everything He does in our lives is designed for this purpose, that we would get our eyes out of the physical and off of the broken vision of God plus or God minus and elevate them to the kingdom that is coming in His name. Because it's what He's been working on for a very long time. I have uh, a, a song and a video I've shared with you before that I, I watch I don't know, 20, 30 times every Christmas. Uh, It's a beautiful song, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, um, with a set of artwork that is all the stories, or many of the stories, of um, our spiritual ancestors. I want to play that for you now. Oh, 
Jesus wants us to get that all the stories lead to this story. He wants us to get that Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and David and Daniel and Jonah were all anticipating and longing for the day where they might see what we get to see. There's nothing that you can add to Jesus that makes Him more, nothing you can take away without losing who He is. Jesus um, is finally the one we've been waiting for, and when He shows up, we have got to get our eyes off the physical stuff. We've got to be able to look up enough to see that the one we've been waiting for is finally here, and we don't need Jesus plus our Christmas gifts and our Christmas cookies and our trees and our decorations, and we don't need Jesus minus those people we don't really like and the conversations we don't want to have. We just need Jesus. We need Him to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts because it's so easy for us, even in this Christmas season, to fail to see and to hear and to remember. And so, uh, may our Christmas prayer today be that God allows us finally to see Him as He truly is, to see uh, our world as this incredible mission field, and that we in the Christmas season might have the heart of Christ to say that our one insatiable desire is that all nations and all people might come to know the only one who is truly enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.